0: We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy. And they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death, And hell followed with him. him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go for fighting the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. all for all one for one, then, I guess. This episode is a little bit different than some of the episodes we've done in the past or particularly recently. Uh, I was recently introduced to um, the public work of Scott Tungay. Uh, we never met in person and have only briefly interacted online. Somehow I came across him. He is a bloke from South Africa living in... Uh, in the Midwest, he's got roots in Rhodesia, and so probably through studies of Rhodesia and those kind of circles, or or maybe uh, in in the online Twitter sphere circles of guys like Eric Kahn, I came across him. Either way, I've been following his work and greatly benefited uh, by it. I would recommend him to you. He does uh, more or less a daily stream on YouTube. And oftentimes those streams are put into podcast form on regular podcast platforms. And uh, particularly talking to men, his musings, his, his speaking uh, will edify you greatly. Uh, I reached out to him being encouraged by his thinking and asked him to give me a, a good reading list to study the concept of tribe more. Uh, it's something that I haven't given much thought to. And so in addition to encouraging me to to reread and meditate on what we see in the Bible about Abraham and David in particular, uh, he gave me a reading list that uh, I purchased through the Evil Empire uh, corporate machine called Amazon. And I, I've been working through these books, uh, a few of them at the same time. What follows Apart from uh, the reading by Rudyard Kipling, I threw that in because I like Rudyard Kipling. I think he's got to be one of the manliest, grittiest poets who ever wrote in the English language. He's currently my favorite. Uh, So I threw in uh, one of his most infamous poems because I thought it was fitting to the broad concept of tribe. Uh, But... What follows now is going to be a series of readings of um, just pertinent sections from, from the various books that I've taken up. Uh, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't give everything. I think more readings will, will follow in episodes to come, but uh, this gives just a, a flavoring of some of the tribal and nationalistic considerations of my current course of study. I hope They are a blessing to you. This War of Ours by Max Boyvin I hate to tell you, kiddo, but we're in a war. I know you didn't sign up for that, but you have been drafted. The people in charge hate you. They see you as their enemy, and they're not even subtle about it anymore. They don't just want to see you dead. They want to humiliate you, break your spirit, and crush your soul. You can forget about having a normal life. Oh sure, they'll dangle normalcy in front of you like a prize you can get if you comply. But as long as you do, as long as you comply, they'll keep it just out of reach. It's just a carrot hanging from a stick. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to reach for it? Are you going to play their game? Let them lead you? The good news is that this is not a hot war. Not yet anyway. It might not have to get hot. If you want to fight back, you won't have to bloody your hand, but you will have to make some sacrifices. Yeah, there will be some events you won't be able to go to. Maybe restaurants are going to be off-limit. Maybe it will be more complicated to find a job. You might not be able to fly around the world, and that's all right. You can do it. Your great-grandfathers had to go through all of those, plus they were expected to be ready to die in the mud or on a beach somewhere in Europe. Don't be so soft. You can live with a little less comfort. It's worth it to preserve some of your remaining freedoms, not just for yourself, but for future generations as well. And those are your children and your children's children. It's time to get introduced to a proper concept of duty. Yeah, I'm sure they mentioned the notion when you were in school, but they probably presented it as paying your taxes and doing what you're told. That is, quote-unquote, obedience, not duty. When the rulers are illegitimate, the two concepts become opposites. When the rulers in a space are illegitimate, obedience and duty become opposites. Disobedience becomes your duty. Now, wait a minute. Did I just say the people in power are illegitimate? Yes, they are. And I'm not even talking about election fraud here. The agreement between the people and the government is that we give them power, but they have to use it for the betterment of the nation. When a government is taken over by people who hate the nation and work toward its destruction, it's no longer legitimate. Its authority is null and void. Does that mean it's time to dust off the guillotine and pull elected officials out on the street? Well, no. Now, this would not end well for us. What I'm asking you to do now is much simpler. Just say no and be ready to accept the consequences. Oh, sure, you're going to be punished. But if you don't comply, they can't win. It's a contest of will. There's a lot of power in being able to look at society in the eyes and tell it, I don't care do not want what you're offering. Grab that power and own it. You'll feel your balls grow instantly. Find inspiration in your ancestors. Look at all they went through to give their descendants a better life. Did they leave all behind to move to the wild and start anew? Did they fight in wars? Did they break their back doing hard labor for countless hours? Most likely they did all that. Are you a lesser man than they were? Embrace the suck. See what's coming as a challenge, an opportunity to test your mettle. The whole thing is like a collective game of chicken. If enough of us stood our ground, the struggle wouldn't last long. The other side would be routed promptly. Unfortunately, I'm not going to lie, this will not happen. Most will cave in. Now, this is not a license to quit the fight. You are better than them. Just the fact that you are reading this article proves that. Rise above the masses. Refuse to be a farm animal. Unearth your own heroism. Strength, courage, mastery, and honor. These are the practical virtues of men who must rely on one another in a worst-case scenario. Strength, courage, mastery, and honor are simple Functional virtues. They are the virtues of men who must answer to their brothers first, whether their brothers are good or unscrupulous men. These tactical virtues point to triumph. They are amoral, but not immoral. Their morality is primal and it lives in a closed circle. The tactical virtues are unconcerned with abstract moral questions of universal right or wrong. What is right is what wins. And what is wrong is what loses, because losing is death and the end of everything that matters. Strength, courage, mastery, and honor are the virtues that protect the perimeter. They are the virtues that save us. They are the virtues that men need to protect their interests, but also the virtues they must develop to go after what they want. They are the virtues of the defender and the attacker. Strength, courage, mastery, and honor belong to no one God, though many gods claim them. Whatever men fight for, strength, courage, mastery, and honor are what they must demand of each other if they're going to win. Strength, courage, mastery, and honor are the alpha virtues of men all over the world. They are the fundamental virtues of men because without them, no higher virtues can be entertained. You need to be alive to philosophize. You can add to these virtues and you can create rules and moral codes to govern them, but if you remove them from the equation altogether, you aren't just leaving behind the virtues that are specific to men, you are abandoning the virtues that make civilization possible. The men who are strong, courageous, competent, and loyal, will be respected and honored as valuable members of Team Us. Men who are exceptionally weak or fearful can't be counted on. Men who are inept in some important way must either find a way to compensate, and they will try if they are loyal and honorable, if they want to help with the hunting and fighting, or they'll find other work to do in the tribe. A man of questionable loyalty who, doesn't seem to care what the other men think of him or how their tribe is perceived, will not be trusted by the hunting and fighting gang. Men who are not up to the job of fulfilling the first role of men for one or all of these reasons will be pushed out of the hunting and fighting group and sent to work with the women, the children, the sick, and the elderly. Men have different drives, aptitudes, temperaments, Most men have the ability to adapt to the hunting and fighting role, to life at the edge of the perimeter, but some men won't be able to cut it. They'll be regarded as less manly and thought of as lesser men. Some men are going to get their feelings hurt, that's not fair, but fairness is a luxury that men can ill afford in dire times. Men who want to avoid being rejected by the gang will work hard and compete with each other to gain the respect of the male gang. Men who are stronger, more courageous, and more competent by nature will compete with each other for higher status within that group. As long as there is something to be gained by achieving a higher position within the gang, whether it's greater control, greater access to resources, or just peer esteem and the comfort of being higher in the hierarchy than the guys at the bottom, men will compete against each other for a higher position. However, because humans are cooperative hunters, the party gang principle scales down to the individual level. Just as groups of men will compete against each other but unite if they believe more can be gained through cooperation, individual men will compete within a gang when there is no major external threat, but then put aside their differences for the good of the group. Men aren't wired to fight or cooperate, they are wired to fight and cooperate. Understanding this ability to perceive and prioritize different levels of conflict is essential to understanding the way of men and the four tactical virtues. Men will constantly shift gears from in-group competition to competition between groups or competition against an external threat. It's good to be stronger than other men within your gang, but it's also important for your gang to be stronger than another gang. Men will challenge their comrades and test each other's courage, but in many ways, this intra-group challenging prepares men to face inter-group competition. Rather, this intra-group challenging prepares men to face inter-group competition. Just as it is important for men to show their peers they won't be pushed around, the survival of a group can depend on whether or not they are willing to push back against other groups to protect their own interests. Men love to show off new skills and find ways to best their pals, but mastery of many of the same skills will be crucial in battles with nature and other men. The sports and games men play most demand the kind of strategic thinking and or physical virtuosity that would be required in a survival struggle. A man's reputation may keep men in in his group from messing with him, and a group's reputation may make its enemies think twice about creating animosity. Sociologists and street gang experts typically write about an excessive concern with reputation or a desire to avenge quote-unquote disses with confused haughty contempt, the confused haughty contempt of the academic. But the truth is that men have behaved this way for most of human history, and the strategic reasons why should be obvious to anyone who doesn't feel he can rely on police protection. If no one is coming to save you, you'd better be tough or at least look tough, and you'll probably want some tough guys ready and willing to get your back. I have no idea how people manage to be confused about something that simple and obvious but I'm pretty sure our ancestors would have killed them and taken their stuff. From the Way of Men by Jack Donovan. The claim of the United Nations organization to be an organization for world peace alone brands it as a gigantic imposture. The primary object of the United Nations organization is to establish a one world government, if necessary, by open force. This government would be a communist one, or one using communistic methods, and its conception of peace would be that of world enslavement following upon the necessary subversion and overthrow of the Christian West. In view of this, it is not without significance that UNO should have been established on United States soil, or even that its slab-like edifice should resemble a tombstone. It is not without significance either that Dr. Ralph Bunche, the American Negro United Nations Undersecretary who has been associated with several Communist Front organizations, should have stated in Alabama, upon which unfortunate state he descended with the quote-unquote Freedom Riders, that, quote, the power and authority of white men were rapidly declining as the voices of yellow, brown, and black men Command attention in the councils of the world. End quote. It is also significant that the first major action of this organization for peace was to organize, only a year after its inception, the invasion and racial partition of Palestine. Above all, it is significant that we, the taxpayers of the West, should be obliged to bear the costs of our own intended enslavement, and that a two thirds majority in the United Nations can now be commanded by states. Implacably hostile to us, which contribute a mere 2.5% of the organization's income, and which are behind even in their payments of this amount. The victory of the Western Allies in the Second World War was switched, by means of negotiation, into a victory for world communism. It was this which caused Churchill to come to the conclusion that we had killed the wrong pig. The outspoken General Patton also who was disliked by Eisenhower for his indiscreet and inappropriate opinions about the need for Britain and America to combine to run the world after the victory should be won, was one of the few men to realize the implications of the switch at the time when it took place. After he had relayed to his staff the order for the American retreat from Berlin, he said to them, Gentlemen, at the moment this may mean little to you, but you will recall it. This order is the turning point of Western civilization. General Patton, unfortunately, did not survive the war. Yet even if he had, his prescient observations would not have been heeded. For having won the war, we were quite content to lose the peace. A. Jacob And now for an ironically unironic reading of The White Man's Burden by Rudyard Kipling. Take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best ye breed. Go send your sons to exile to serve your captives' need, to wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild. Your new caught, sullen peoples, half devil and half child, take up the white man's burden in patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror and check the show of pride. By open speech and simple and hundred times made plain to seek another's profit and work another's gain, take up the white man's burden and reap his old reward. The blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard, the cry of hosts ye humor, ah, slowly to the light. Why brought ye us from bondage, our loved Egyptian knight? Take up the white man's burden have done with childish days. The lightly proffered laurel, the easy, ungrudged praise comes now to search your manhood through all the thankless years, cold-edged with dear-bought wisdom, the judgment of your peers. The White Man's Burden, Rudyard Kipling, 1899.